Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's time for KPBS Midday Edition. Do you think our weather has been weird? Let's ask some experts about weather, water, and what could come next. I'm Warren Kavanaugh with conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. Linking strange weather to climate change is dicey, but there are signs to watch for. We do have a cloud of climate risks, and they are interrelated in terms of thinking about drought, the drying of the landscape, the wildfire risk, and the fire season, and also the extreme precipitation. Plus, the challenges posed by this year's record snowpack and a look ahead to San Diego's summer forecast. That's next on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Anyone used to a San Diego spring knows all about May gray and June gloom. But this year, the clouds and chilly weather have been especially intense. In fact, San Diego's May temperatures have been running below normal. And April was mostly gray and chilly with drizzle and rain. That's something we usually would be able to shrug off as an exception to the rule. But last year... We experienced just about the same thing without the rain. According to the National Weather Service, average temperatures in San Diego were below normal between January and May in 2022. So the question is, is this chillier, grayer, late winter and spring weather becoming a new normal for us? And is it connected to climate change? Joining us to talk about why we're seeing this change and what we may expect in the future is Scripps Oceanography climate scientist, Julie Kalansky. And Julie, welcome. Thank you for having me. I haven't presented this observation about our weather patterns in a very scientific way, but we have been experiencing more cold and wet than usual, haven't we? 
In particular, this year, if you look at the average temperature over San Diego from January to April, it is um, about three and a half degrees colder than the average between 1980 and 2023. Okay, so California, especially Northern California, got hit by a series of atmospheric rivers that caused unusual downpours and devastating flooding in some areas. What weather conditions caused that series of storms to form? So it was a series of nine atmospheric rivers be, uh, between December and January that caused that initial you know, creation of the snowpack and significant flooding. And then we had quite a few later atmospheric rivers this year as well. Um, and it's rather complicated in terms of the different various different dynamics that caused it to form, but it can you know go as far back as over the Asian continent and then the connections through the atmosphere. Um, to to set up the the jet stream and where the storms flow. Well, if indeed the series of atmospheric rivers, the wetter and colder and chillier weather has something to do with climate change, how would rising global temperatures cause these changes? I mean, what would be the mechanism that would cause weather patterns like that to develop? So one of the things with climate change is as the atmosphere warms, it's able to hold more water. And so as the atmosphere holds more water within these storms, it carries more water vapor. And so when the precipitation forms or the rain or snow, there's more water to fall out. Um, so that's one thing in terms of physics that is is terms of climate change. Why is it so difficult to uh, connect certain weather patterns to the idea of continuing climate change? So when we think about weather, we think about day to day or week to week, um, whereas climate change is a statistics over a long period of time. And because in part we live in such a highly variable climate regime in, in California and in even San Diego is even more one of the more extremes within California, that to, de- to determine a trend beyond that year to year climate variability can be difficult. And so you need a lot of data to be able to do that and long periods of record to with changes over, you know, decade, multiple decades. As climate scientists, though, do see these unusual weather events occur in the real world, and I'm talking about things all over the globe, like uh, more flooding and and more intense rainstorms and more intense tornadoes, etc. Are the scientists, are you <laughs> changing <laughs> and refining your estimates about the impact of climate change? I mean, we're always, as scientists, we're always refining our, our estimates and, and impacts. And one of the projects we're working on right now is taking the, the, the new set of global climate models that project of possible future impacts of climate change and downscaling them to, on, to, so they're much more localized to be able to get an, the, using kind of the latest data to get a more localized understanding of those impacts of climate change. So it's continually evolving and we're continually understanding more and more. When you talk about localized impacts of climate change, how do you think the notion of climate justice plays into the discussion? The idea that many communities have long been overlooked and under-considered when we talk about the effects of climate change. I think it's something that is in incredibly important to consider. And this is something we at Scripps are starting to look at more um, in one part, especially in terms of flooding, um, just with the connection with atmospheric rivers and what happened this year is the the impacts of flooding on uh, disadvantaged communities and just the capacity to build back and come back after a flooding event. 
You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. We're talking about climate change with Scripps Oceanography climate scientist Julie Kalansky. Julie, we've been hearing that climate change will cause extended droughts in California, and I, it's difficult for me. I think it might be difficult for other people to understand how is that possible when we got all this rain this year, and we've been hearing more and more about atmospheric rivers. Could the forecast of extended droughts be a misinterpretation? So what the climate models are projecting is this flipping between dry extremes and wet extremes. And so what we really, when we talk about extended droughts, it's our precipitation, so rain and snowfall regime and and patterns are changing. And so that we have these longer dry periods that are punctuated by more extreme wet periods. And so the the dryness, um, these extended droughts are something that we can, even after this year, you know, expect to see again and again. And then the other part of the extended droughts is with climate change, the atmosphere gets warmer. And as the atmosphere gets warmer, it has a, it can dry out the landscape, which exacerbates the drought. And so this combination of the more extreme uh, rains becoming more extreme and the less extreme, less frequent. So that extends the drought and then also the dry landscape um, exacerbates it. So as you look at the possible effects of climate change, uh, you see severe weather events uh, that w- were once considered rare now becoming increasingly common or lasting longer than they ever used to. And what kind of events are we talking about here? A- and how how does climate change increase their regularity? For extremes, I think, you know, preparing for extremes is a good adaptation strategy for preparing for climate change in terms of, you know, big flooding events, when we see the frequency of these coming in the projections, they are showing that they would become more frequent depending on the size of extreme, you know, it's variable and it's also variable throughout the state. And so it, it changes quite a bit, but under, but bottom line, by preparing for, for extreme rainfall or flooding, you're preparing for those potential future conditions. Um, similarly for droughts, likewise, if you're preparing for a dry condition or extended dry periods, you'll be, we will be better ready for them when they come in the future. And given our natural climate variability, and which is projected to get worse with climate change, it is a it's a resilient strategy, an adapta- a climate adaptation strategy. What about another change that we've been seeing and feeling in San Diego? More monsoonal moisture coming into this region from the south. Now, late summer storms, we, well, we've got them in the East County uh, on the eastern side of the mountains. But um, they're coming all the way over to the coast. Uh, We've seen that the last couple of summers. And our summers are getting more humid. What could be the cause of that? There has been a connection to ocean temperatures and the humidity. I will say the climate projections in terms of the summer moisture in San Diego County, we don't see a lot in terms of trends of being more summer moisture coming into San Diego County. And so I think this goes back to our climate variability and how year to year it can it can change quite a bit. And so it's sometimes our, we, you know, we think about what it's been the past couple of years, but if you think back over the last 50 years, there are these periodic times where you get more moisture as well during the summer. 
It seems to me San Diego is often overlooked or understudied in climate change analysis. We we don't have the same weather as the rest of Southern California. We're often protected from the worst of the winter storms as we were a couple of times this year. And we tend to be cooler in summer than LA. Is our specific weather pattern being studied at Scripps? Yes, we, you know, we've done a fair bit of work of looking at San Diego County in particular. Last The last time that the California assessments were done, we were the only county that had our own regional report. And so we're able to look at the climate change projections just for San Diego. So it is something that is being studied at Scripps. You mentioned that there's a, a, a more of a variability in San Diego County than you find elsewhere. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, if you look at a map, the year-to-year variability in how much rain we get, generally, you know, Northern California, that variability is less than in Southern California. There is not a sharp line, say, between, you know, where Northern California and Southern California is. It's a bit of a gradient. Um, but I would say not just San Diego, but in Southern California, there is more year-to-year variability than there is in Northern California. What is most concerning to climate scientists looking at the future impacts to San Diego? I think with all of it, we have we do have a lot of climate risks, and they are interrelated in terms of thinking about drought potentially and the drying of the landscape and wildfire risk and the and the fire season and then also the extreme precipitation. Uh, so I I think all of it for me is concerning, and and like I said before, I think being prepared as we can be for the next flood or the next drought is an important adaptation strategy for the long term and becoming more and more resilient and being able to bounce back from these extremes is increasingly important. From where you sit, are we becoming prepared? Yeah, I think overall, there's a lot of thought being put into, you know, what, what we need to do in terms of water, water resiliency and water supply. Um, There's we're working on we're working on that and, and building that to become more resilient. So that one I've learned more about that. In terms of some of the other extremes statewide, I know a little bit more about what we're doing and I think we are making progress definitely there. More specifically in San Diego, a little less so with the extreme flooding. And how about sea level rise? Sea level rise is a relatively slow responder and so being prepared similar to what I've said before, being a prepared for the next big extreme where you have this combination of, you know, storm, high tide. And so you get the the wave and the run up on already a high tide. So again, being prepared for these extremes in the near term are really important. And they build resiliency over the long term, why we can test adaptation measures. I've been speaking with Scripps Oceanography climate scientist, Julie Kalansky. Julie, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for talking. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the changes you've seen in San Diego's weather. Give us a call at 619-452-0228 and leave a message, or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, what to do with California's melting record snowpack. We can't capture all of the water uh, that falls, and we wouldn't want to. Uh, you know, that, that movement of water is just from, from the land then to the ocean is part of the hydrologic cycle. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, 
I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. The aftermath of our unusual winter weather has left California with an unusual amount of water. The most recent survey finds that the statewide snowpack is more than 250% of normal and the deepest in 70 years. A cooler-than-usual spring means that snowpack is melting slowly, but even with a moderate melt... Winter flooding from massive rainfall has left all that water with fewer and fewer places to go. All of which means that San Diego and California in general, after a multi-year drought, now have an abundance of water. And unfortunately, that could be a problem. Heather Cooley is here with me. She's Director of Research at the Pacific Institute, which examines an array of water issues in California. And Heather, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. So my first question is, do experts agree that after the extraordinary rainfall this winter that California's drought is over? Yeah, that's a a really uh, important question, but also a somewhat complicated one. Uh, You know, with with all of this water that we had and and with the snowpack that, that still remains, as we look at our our surface reservoirs, we're seeing them replenished. Uh, they're, they're, they're filling up. Uh, and, and again, with that snowpack melting, they will continue to fill. Um, if we look to our aquifers, our, our sort of groundwater uh, storage, those systems, you know, are, are, are not recovered uh, in many areas. Um, they were severely depleted during the droughts, this drought and, and previous droughts, and they just take much longer to recover. Uh, and so areas entirely reliant on those aquifers may still be facing uh, limits on water availability. And then as we look, you know, particularly for Southern California, if we look at the Colorado River, which is an important source there, um, the, the issues, you know, there too, they've had a little bit of a better year, but their, their limits and their, their concerns about water supply are, are long-term concerns. And so, you know, this, this, this winter has provided some relief, um, but it hasn't changed the sort of long-term trajectory and the need to better manage our water resources. Speaking of the aquifers that need to be replenished, we heard that the extended drought made some of the soil incapable of absorbing rainfall. Is that still the case? Yes. Uh, so, you know, when when groundwater is depleted, uh, there are some places where that aquifer just starts to collapse and that becomes a permanent loss of the ability to store water. Uh, and so there are some, and, that, and that's driven in part by the types of soils, um, how severe the depletion was. And so, you know, it's not just that we apply water and it's a sponge and it, and it refills. Um, in, in some instances that that happens, but in some areas what we're talking about is a permanent loss 
loss of storage. And so it's an issue we need to be mindful of and, and to be managing um, appropriately, given the importance of groundwater today and, and the role that it can play when there are limits uh, uh, when we're in a drought. Was that loss of storage a factor in why there was so much flooding in certain sections of California? No, uh, not so much. I think the, the issue with flooding was, was as you noted, we, we just had a huge amount of water uh, come through. We just exceeded you know, expectations around, around the amount of rainfall that we had, the amount of snow that we've had. And so uh, you know, we, we just received, as you noted, about 250 times what, what, uh, you know, percent of, of average. Uh, and so it's just a lot of water. We had you know, over a dozen atmospheric rivers. Uh, and so we had very intense rainfall over very short periods of time. And, and it's just hard for our system to, to manage all of that water, especially when it comes all at once. Can you talk a bit more about how we've seen our lakes and rivers across the state start to fill back up? Yes. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really our, our reservoirs, our lakes, um, they are are very uh, uh, they they respond very quickly to rainfall events and to snow, and so we are seeing those recharge in in across the state from Northern California into Southern California, um, and so you know that they, they now have water. I think in terms of how the ecosystem responds, it does take time for those systems to respond for fish for wildlife. Um, to, to be able to recover from the severe drought that we've had. But, they're, but you know, those systems also are uh, incredible in terms of how, how they can recover. Uh, so providing that water will be important for recovery, um, but it's not going to be instantaneous. You mentioned the Colorado River. So much of the West's water comes from siphoning off that river. It didn't cure the problem of the Colorado River being stretched too thin, but Tell us how these rains helped. Yeah, so it, it didn't solve the long-term problem. I think what it does is it takes a little bit of pressure uh, and off, off of, of, of the various states that rely on that uh, system and, and Mexico. Um, it provides a little more time, I think, to start to identify and, and implement solutions but I don't think we can be complacent. <laughs> um, the issues in the Colorado River are, are decades in the making. We've been watching those aquifers decline now for, for 20 plus years. And so the fact that we've had a little bump <laughs> in, in those supplies, um, we, we, can't, we can't be complacent. We need to continue to be very proactive and aggressive in terms of cutting our reliance on that system. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Heather Cooley is with me. She's Director of Research at the Pacific Institute. You know, during heavy rains this winter, I kept reading articles criticizing the lack of water storage capacity in the state. Uh, You know, there was one article after another in the LA Times about how the water was just running off when it should be stored. Do you feel the same way? Well, you know, here here again, I think it's the answer is complicated. So, you know, I don't think uh, we can't capture all of the water uh, that falls, and we wouldn't want to. Uh, you know, that that movement of water is, is just from from the land then to the ocean is part of the hydrologic cycle. Um, it's important for the transfer of salts, for the transfer of nutrients, for functioning of those ecosystems uh, to to have movement of water. So, you know, that that being said, I do think there are opportunities for us um, to be replenishing groundwater aquifers and to 
do that more effectively with these intense rainfall events. Um, there are also opportunities in our urban areas uh, to be capturing some of that storm water, using it to recharge aquifers, even to store in cisterns uh, for later use. So, you know, while I think there are some opportunities, we can't look at all of the water that comes as, as being available to be captured. It's really sort of a balance there. Would that require some technology? I mean, obviously getting storm water in a barrel doesn't, but I mean, it's some technology to restore the aquifers that we just haven't put in place? It doesn't require technology. I think what it what it requires um, is a, you know, identifying where the best areas are for recharge. Um, there are some areas where we'll want to avoid. There may be pollution there. Uh, there may be lots of nutrients and fertilizers uh, that were that were used for agriculture, for example, and we don't want to pollute our aquifers. So we need to do a better job of identifying where are the priority areas for recharge. And then there may be infrastructure that is needed to move some of that water to those locations as well. And so we need to have a, a solid plan uh, for how we're going to do this, where we're going to do it, how we're going to incentivize people to do this as well. Um, there may be some agricultural lands, for example, we want we want to um, we want to flood and then and then use to naturally recharge those aquifers. And we really need a, a solid plan and then action uh, in order to to realize that opportunity. What about uh, individuals? You know, should we put a barrel out? <laughs> I mean, how, can can individual people do anything to, to store all this water that's been coming down this year? Um, there are absolutely things we can do on an in individual basis. Um, you know, as I look out and, and think about water usage, you know, about half of our, our urban water uses in, in California is on our landscapes. Uh, and oftentimes it's for it's for lawn. And so what we can be doing uh, uh, is to really transform our landscapes, put in plants that are more appropriate for our climate. And then two, to route and uh, our, our rain, our rain gutters, <laughs> um, our downspouts to our landscapes. Uh, you know, I did a, a ton of mulching in, at my own home. That's helping to hold on to that water. I've done a lot of work to build the health of the soil. Um, it's holding on to that water and then making it available. Uh, for plants as well uh, as we go into the spring and even into the summer. Um, so there's lots of things we can be doing in our own home. But, you know, I think importantly around around water, I mean, we talk about it at, at, these, at these large regional scales. Um, water is managed at the local level. So there are actions we can take in our local community as well um, and, and making our voice heard in local decisions around how water is managed. And I think that's an important opportunity for all of us um, as we make our communities more resilient to, to, to these water challenges. You know, I mentioned that the uh, mountain snowpack, not only is it very, very big this year, but it's also not melting as quickly as people feared it might. Um, does any of the melting snowpack water eventually find its way all the way down to this end of the state? Absolutely. So, you know, as uh, we've been fortunate uh, that we didn't have, uh, you know, we started to have some warm weather and then it cooled off again. Um, that has helped uh, the, the snowpack stay. It's helped to avoid a lot of flooding. Um, but it, it really is that snowpack that then starts to continue to recharge uh, those surface reservoirs. And as we draw water down, as we move water throughout the state, then that creates space 
uh, and then we're able to, you know, capture some of that snow melt. Um, so it, it is that snow melt is is important uh, across California. Uh, it's 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 really our our largest natural uh, reservoir. I've been uh, reading things about the, the concerns about how quickly this snowpack will melt and what that might mean. Are you concerned about that as well? Uh, I yes, it's something I've been concerned. But uh, you know, as I as I noted, I it's been it's been a little slower. <laughs> We've had some cool weather, but you know that can change really quickly in in California, especially uh, as we're seeing more extremes. We're seeing overall you know, hotter, hotter and drier conditions, but then as we're seeing with these very, very wet years and these large snowpacks. So, you know, we, we need to be thinking in uh, about how we manage these extremes uh, more effectively, given, given the effects of climate change. When it rains as much as it has this winter, and I think that there's even rain coming up in our forecast somewhat soon, it's it's hard for people, I think, to think about this amount of rainfall and also the need for conservation. How do you balance those two concepts? Yeah, no, I think a really important question. Um, and, you know, I, I think I think I think the way I think about it is, you know, we we have water. This is an opportunity for us to sort of recharge and, and replenish our groundwater aquifers, our surface res- reservoirs, but we can't squander that water. Um, we need to use it efficiently and and, and eliminate waste. Um, I do think that's important to do in, in wet years and in dry years. Um, you know, the reality is when we are in a drought, we really don't, we don't know right away. It's often in year two or three <laughs> that we, we sort of recognize we're in a drought and our opportunities to reduce demand are more limited. We tend to focus on some of these quick things we do, let our lawns go brown, fallow agricultural fields. Um, But in order to really advance efficiency, water efficiency, we need to be looking at taking out old appliances and fixtures, putting in more efficient models, changing our landscapes, putting in plants that are more appropriate for our climate. Those types of measures, those efficiency measures take a little longer to implement. Um, but they can help us in, in prepare for the next drought. They can help us deal with water scarcity more broadly. Um, and so we need to continue moving in that direction, regardless of whether it's a wet year or even a wet couple of years. Uh, you know, th- those measures not only help us to, uh, you know, take advantage and use the water we have most efficiently and effectively, um, they can also help us to save energy. They help us reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, there are lots of co-benefits of, for using water efficiently. Speaking of the possibility of a couple of wet years, as I understand it, climate change brings extreme weather that can last longer than usual. So I was wondering, is it possible that we're now in a cycle of heavier rainfall here in San Diego and California in general? It's possible, although it's also possible that the drought starts up in full force again next next year. So, you know, as we we've even seen, you know, I think last year was a great example where the year started out really wet. Uh, we had a wet sort of November and December, and then the rains just stopped. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think these extremes, even within a year and then in between years, are, are something we are are. Are as part of California's climate, but it's one that we're seeing get even more extreme. Uh, and so we need to be, you know, adequately preparing our communities, helping to, to make them more resilient to that greater variability and the greater uncertainty. 
And of course, with all the growth that's accompanied this rainfall, are you also concerned about more fuel for wildfires? Yes, uh, that that is a that is a concern. I mean, certainly the the wet weather uh, and the cooler temperatures has helped to delay the start of of the wildfire season. Um, but that also means there's more fuel uh, to be burned. So you know, it's a sort of a, a you know a double edged sword there, uh, and and something you know it, it points to and highlights the need to continuously and proactively manage these issues um, and not just be reactive. Uh, and so I think that's something we need to do a better job of with respect to water management, with respect to forest management, uh, and just the management of our, our resources more broadly. It's really interesting. I want to thank you. I've been speaking with Heather Cooley. She's Director of Research at the Pacific Institute. Thanks for all this good information. Thank you. It was wonderful to talk with you. We'd love to hear your thoughts about how California should manage its record snowpack. Give us a call at 619-452-0228 and leave a message. Or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, just how unusual has our weather been lately? Temperatures were below normal. Rain was above average. I mean, if you just look at locations around San Diego, we haven't seen that wet of a winter going back to 2005. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. After months of cool, wet weather, we're finally into a warm-up. Temperatures this week are forecast in the normal range for San Diego at this time of year. So is San Diego sunshine back at last? Or is it just a reprieve before we're hit with the typical June gloom? Joining me is Alex Tardy. He's Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the National Weather Service in San Diego County. And welcome back, Alex. Thanks for having me on again. So I've got to ask you, as someone who studied weather for a long time, are you surprised at the kind of weather we've experienced so far this year? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I would say yes, especially for this past winter, uh, and with emphasis on December through March. With the rain, the wind, and the incredible snow we saw in California, and even Southern California mountains. But, you know, that occurring in a La Nina, the third year in a row of La Nina, the cold phase of the ocean way down by the equator, um, we don't typically see that. And we set records with snowpack. It wasn't just a wet winter. It was a cold winter, below average. So that kept the snowpack. The snowpack is still with us. So if you look at the rain, the temperatures, the cool temperatures, the snowpack. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I don't think anyone expected it. Um, and it seems like we've had a trend uh, in even some of these La Nina years, um, like 2010, 2017, where it's been a pleasant surprise. 
And we can safely say that it's ended our drought, at least for most of California, not for the Great Basin, but for California, uh, with water supply now back to being um, not just normal, but above normal and full capacity. You know, some climate scientists say that chilly, wet weather was just part of a natural cycle that California and San Diego have always gotten. But there are others that say there are links to climate change. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I didn't see anything normal about it uh, this, this past year. I mean, objectively, temperatures were below normal. Rain was above average. I mean, if you just look at uh, locations around San Diego, uh, we haven't seen that wet of a winter going back to 2005. Even city of San Diego's 14 inches of rain, uh, Northern County, Oceanside, Escondido, 25, 26 inches of water, Palomar Mountain, 61 inches of water. That's not normal. Um, and temperatures, um, you know, were much below average. Some of our mountain areas like Palomar Mountain saw one of the coldest winters on record. So, yeah, you know, we never necessarily see normal or average each year. Sometimes it's warmer, wetter, drier, cooler. Um, but to see this in a La Nina year after two solid years of drought, below average precipitation, really warm summers of 2020, 2021. So, you know, a, a lot of this uh, certainly looks like it's more abnormal, more extreme uh, than even some variability that we typically see from winter to winter. Um, we no longer can really say, you know, El Nino's the thing for our rain. Uh, we now have three consecutive years in the past decade. So 2010, 2011, 2016, 2017, and now this past year, um, they're not really consecutive, but in a decade, three of them are La Niña's, and they were all three very wet with major snow. So, you know, there's definitely an indication um, while, you know, every year brings its own surprises. These are, you know, years that are a little more extreme than normal and our summers a little more extreme than normal, especially with the warm temperatures. Um, and ending a drought that we just went through with a La Niña, I don't know how you could say you know, that's normal. That's certainly not what we expect. Um, and so other things uh, appear to be going on that are putting a little more severity in some of these, uh, you know, winter and summer weather patterns. Apparently, sometime this week, monsoonal moisture and possible storms in the county. In May? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really sort of dumbfounded by this. Can you explain that, Alec? In May, that's what I'm asking too, to myself, to the weather models, to the weather gods in May. Um, so, um, you know, you can look at all these different events, the heat waves of 2020, 2021, the hottest years on record in California, the most wildfires on record, one of the wettest years on record, the most snowpack, most snow on record this past year. And now here we are in May. Um, you know, we're probably expecting a little break, right? We're expecting the May, gray, June gloom. We can deal with that. We're used to that. Um, maybe a few showers like we saw last week. You know, we're used to that maybe in May, the transition month. But now we're talking about full-fledged summer coming in from the east, which means downright hot temperatures in our deserts. Anza Borrego, usually a really good time to hike. I would tell most people, 
April, May, June, July, no. April, May, yeah. They're going to be well over 100, 105 degrees. And with that heat, we're going to develop a monsoon, which is a shift of the winds in the upper atmosphere. Monsoon weather pattern, which we normally don't see till like late June, sometimes early July. We're going to get that here in mid-May. And that could result very likely into several days of thunderstorms in our mountains, maybe a few thunderstorms in our deserts. And possibly even seeing a thunderstorm or two making it all the way to our coast later next week. That's not, um, that's nowhere near normal. That's, you know, that's over a month ahead of what we call the schedule or what might be normal with the monsoonal pattern. I'm talking to Alex Tardy. He's a meteorologist for the National Weather Service in San Diego County. And we are talking, of course, about our weather. You know, Alex, how much is San Diego's weather dependent on the water temperature off the coast? Does that make a big difference? That's a, a great question. Um, not one that I get to answer that often. So we are at, you know, about 30 degree north latitude. That's a scientific number. We're, you know, we're in the, the edge of the subtropics. Uh, we're far south uh, compared to much of the United States. Um, and you know, normally that would mean really warm Mediterranean climate, downright hot. Um, but thanks to our marine layer, our friends in Palm Springs and Borrego Springs find themselves often in the warm season, just downright hot, 100, 115. Now we would have that same weather, same weather. And this is when people start rolling their eyes at me. Um, in San Diego, if it what worth the same latitude, if it wasn't for the cool ocean, the cold ocean currents that come all the way down from Alaska, they really start from Japan all the way down from Alaska and come down from the north, keeping our water most of the time in the 60s. So when you put that cool water, which is basically an air conditioner, and you blow that on that hot air at this latitude, it comes out in the oven as some really nice temperatures normally. So it moderates our temperatures, you know, from, from 20 to 30 degrees cooler than they might normally be or, or could be uh, because of our latitude. So we got the sun, sun angle being in this latitude, we've got the um, ingredients to be really hot, but that ocean marine layer, yeah, really modifies our temperatures on a daily, monthly basis. Sometimes it's annoying because it modifies it so much that we have fog and low clouds. Is it the water temperature one of the first things affected by climate change? And along with that, we have seen some of our summers a lot more humid because of the ocean temperature. Isn't that right? Um, yeah, you've done your research. Uh, that 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 is correct. Um, I don't know if it's the chicken and the egg. I don't know if the land or the ocean, I, I think overall what we've been observing is the land warms faster uh, and cools faster, um, especially when you start talking about land near the Arctic Circle, when you remove ice and glaciers. Um, but even land down here, um, we see the signs of drought and global warming faster over the land. But that said, there is a lag but the oceans absorb that excessive heat during drought, during heat waves, 
during climate change, the ocean absorbs that. And so we are now seeing our Atlantic and Pacific Ocean um, you know, reaching a point where they can't absorb and they can't reset back to normal because there's so much excessive heat coming off the land uh, year after year after year, not just one day, but year after year after year. So we see these uh, marine heat waves, they're called over the Pacific Ocean. And there's still one out there in the central northern Pacific, massive. Um, and it's been shifting around. It got eroded by the active winter storm because those storms turned the water over along our coast, but the main part of it's still out there. And what's concerning is it's independent of El Nino warmth. It's independent of La Nina cool. It's just sitting out there and the Atlantic has it too. And so it really could be a signal of excessive heat in our atmosphere that was generated from our land um, with these warmer years over the past decade or so. And the water is feeling that and the water's warmer than it should be and it's not completely recovering. Um, so they do work together though. What does the long range forecast look like as we head into summer here in San Diego? Well, after this winter, uh, how cool it was, how wet it was, you know, the instinct might be, well, okay, we're gonna have a mild summer and not gonna be that bad. But the actual forecast for when you get into June, July and August, while we're benefiting from all that rain with a delayed fire season because of the wet ground, the wet green grass, um, we're benefiting from that. Um, the actual forecast as we get into July and August is for above normal temperatures. So in, in other words, uh, erasing um, this cool winter and this wet winter, all the massive gains we, we had with that, starting to erase that by having warmer than normal conditions, which basically means you have more evaporation, you end up getting drier soil, more stress on your vegetation. So the official forecast, unfortunately, is for above normal temperatures, especially our inland areas. Now us on the coast, that's the wild card. Our water temperatures may not recover fast enough and that might keep us uh, like last year, near average along the coast. But once you get inland around I-15 and eastward, um, it's expected to be not just warm because it's summer, but warmer than normal uh, as we go through this summer into early fall. You know, Alex, I, I, I know you know this. San Diegans talk about the weather a lot. If it's not 72 degrees and sunny, we tend to get concerned, okay? But how much do people talk about it with you? You must get asked about it all the time. I do. Um, so it, it varies. So if it's my family, um, it's just about like today. Do I need a jacket? Sun coming out today, dad, that type of thing. Um, if it's someone I don't know, uh, sometimes I play undercover and, and I don't engage too much into it. And I let them kind of give me their lecture of weather and climate. And it, it, sometimes it's fun. Uh, if it's flat out incorrect, I might interject. Um, now, if it's someone who knows I'm a meteorologist, I, I try to make it like a, you know, a two-way street, uh, you know, hear them out, try to explain what was going on, maybe try to interject that some of this we don't quite understand, um, like why last winter was so wet and near record wet and record snowpack. So I try to, you know, explain to them. Sometimes, you know, when when it gets really generalized where someone tells me, oh, El Nino is coming, we're going to flood. You know, I, hold on, put on the brakes, you know, type of thing. Um, and 
day-to-day weather or long-term weather. Um, and then maybe sometimes I'll get a comment, you know, like um, this is not abnormal or this is not climate change or we had this in the 70s type of thing. And I try to explain to them, you know, within reason, with a lot of unknowns uh, about our climate and our weather that, you know, no, the, the frequency of some of these events is abnormal um, and they're unusual. And it's not just San Diego. I try to shift them to other parts of the country, other parts of the world as well, where even more extreme anomalies um, have occurred and, and are occurring. Well, thank you for explaining everything to us, Alex. I really do appreciate it. I've been speaking with Alex Tardy. He is Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the National Weather Service here in San Diego County, and we are lucky for it. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us to hear some expert analysis of our changing weather. We'd love to hear your comments. You can always reach us at 619-452-0228 or by email at midday at kpbs.org. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.